Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Canadian Story. I'm pleased to have Derek Fildebrandt returning. He is the publisher, editor, CEO, president, and all-around many wear of hats for the Western Standard, uh, which has had... Immense success since he last uh, came on here, doing something that has never been done, as far as I know, in the media history, which was live tweeting a an internal caucus meeting for a government. So, Derek, why don't you share a little bit about that fun little experience that you had? <laughs> yeah, I, I, thank you. I, I'm not aware of this ever happening before. Um, I mean, there's been leaks of caucus meetings before, uh, Leaks from government caucus meetings are even more rare. Uh, but I think this was a first where we live tweeted pretty much every detail. Uh, now, I guess, you know, it was a Zoom caucus meeting. So if someone farted and they were on mute, we don't know that. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Or any members of parliament uh, showing up nude on camera. We didn't know that. No, you didn't uh, get that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not, it wasn't that private. <laughs> um, but uh yeah no we um uh, just a little background because i know some of your friend uh your follower your listeners are not just uh not just alberta here uh you know the alberta ucp government has been in a crisis for some time uh you know the united conservative party was a fusion of the wild rose party a more populist right uh alberta first style party and then the progressive conservatives a more traditional uh, Tory tradition. Uh, so it was something that would not, you know, the Ontario, the Alberta progressive conservatives wouldn't be that unrecognizable from say the left wing of the Ontario progressive conservatives. Yes, exactly. Uh, it'd be, it'd be pretty similar in the, in its outlook. Um, so there's been a lot of tensions, uh, the lockdowns and the restrictions have created absolute real stress on the kind of tectonic plates of these two legacy parties in the UCP. And it's really been tearing it apart. But uh, yeah. So anyway, the, the lockdowns in particular have been incredible uh, there. So this caucus, we, we've been leaking things from the caucus. We've got quite a few sources, uh, both from cabinet and the caucus and um, uh, the Jason Kenny, uh, he denies he has anything to do with it, but he, he moved to expel two members of the UCP caucus um, Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes, both from the Wild Rose, both MLAs I served with when I was in the Wild Rose. And he, um, so this was not just a caucus meeting for a governing party. No, this was a like kicking out MLAs meeting. There, there were votes going on around this. Yeah, th this is like a make or break, like a caucus meeting like this takes place maybe once every four years in a government's term. This was a hyper secret caucus meeting. And uh, we had multiple sources in the caucus uh, telling us things in minute detail as they were happening in real time. And we were we we started publishing stories on this, but it was coming so fast we couldn't publish new stories. So we just created essentially a live blog on the Western Standard, <laughs> um, and we we just had all the details uh, coming out. It, it was absolutely fascinating. And after all that was done, uh, Jason Kenny thought he kicked the leaks out of the caucus, but he didn't. Um, so in fact, those weren't the, the people that were leaking at all. No. So when the caucus meeting happened the next week, uh, the leaks came again in real time. Um, and we took, we've taken precautions to protect our sources. 
but when this became a regular occurrence, we decided to call it weekly leaks. <laughs> so, so what do you think is the biggest problem facing Jason Kenny right now in Alberta in the sense that why is he so, I mean, we just saw an Angus Reid poll came out. He's the least popular premier in the entire country. He's obviously failed to keep this coalition together. Wild Rose Independence Party is at 20% now, according to Angus Reid. In a poll you guys recently did for the Western Standard, it was at 16. That that could be a 4% jump in just a few weeks. Why is he failing so horribly at what really he spent his entire life trying to achieve, which is the top job? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of potential, probably a lot of fair answers to it. And I think uh, everyone's got an opinion on the matter in Alberta right now. I think it comes down to um, his skill set as a leader. Uh, he was an incredibly talented minister in the Harper government. Um, you know, you give him a general direction and he could carry it out. Uh, and he did have, it, he wasn't just good tactically, he was actually, I think, good strategically within a limited focus in a ministry. If there was a problem ministry, you could put him there and he would do a good job. Um, but there's a difference between being a brigadier general commanding a division and being a commander in chief commanding the entire armed forces. And uh, when you're the commander in chief, you have to balance forces between different fronts. Uh, you you have to oversee everything, and and it requires you to have a good commander in chief has a good strategic appraisal of the situation um, and the confidence of their subordinates, but allows uh, your chief lieutenants, your lieutenant generals, to have operational freedom to to make changes and adapt uh, to the situation on the ground. And and Kenny does not allow that. He runs a hyper-centralized micromanaging um, government. Uh, there are really only about three or four ministers with any real power and, and, and any operational freedom. Uh, and what's great is everybody knows exactly who they are after that photo, right. photo of the sky palace. <laughs> uh, yeah, is, let's go. We'll go into that in a second. I, I want to talk about that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But it's, it's just a, a very small number of key ministers with any real power Everyone else is just kind of holding a title and collecting a, a bump in their paycheck as an MLA. Um, and, and like, without, I can't break some confidence here, but there have been absolutely massive, massive multi billion dollar decisions taken by the government um, without the knowledge of the minister. It's just uh, responsible for that portfolio. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, j just incredible stuff. And so that creates a dysfunctional government from a operational standpoint, but it also breeds resentment among your ministers and among your caucus. And, you know, he, um, so I think the other great reason for why Jason Kenney's premiership and political leadership is falling apart so spectacularly right now is that he actually doesn't understand the, for lack of a better term, the base of his yeah. own party. Yeah. Um, Jason Kenney's career has been dominantly in federal politics and federal politics coming from the reform party, the base, if you will, tended to be social conservatives and social conservatives. I, I like to say are the most low maintenance, high reward uh, group of voters in Canada. 
they require conservatives to do nothing for them. Uh, with, with the exception of a few activists, they don't require any change in the definition of marriage. They don't require any uh, change in legislation on abortion. All they want is to have a couple of token MPs in your caucus and for the leader to not openly disrespect them. Yeah. You just don't antagonize them. You don't have to give them anything. Just don't antagonize them, respect them and hear them out, even if you don't have to act on anything they say. And Kenny thinks that is the base. But the base in Alberta today is radically different. There are social conservatives and they overlap with the base, but the base is a more populist, more regionalist, or even more sovereigntist or nationalist um, cohort of voters who, to varying degrees along a spectrum, want more independence from Ottawa. It ranges from, from people who want a, a strong degree of autonomy uh, to people who want full out independence. Uh, it's populist. It hates government itself. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't just want independence for Alberta because you know you can make the argument that Quebec wants in, uh, Quebec sovereigntists want independence for Quebec, but Albertans also want independence from government in general. Yeah, yeah, we don't like in Quebec the sovereigntists they want to get rid of the federal government and have a hyper powerful paternalistic and centralized Quebec government. Alberta nationalists or sovereignists, however you, because there's a few, few terms you can use and they mean different things, but uh, they overwhelmingly, they want to get rid of Ottawa and they don't want to really replace Ottawa with anything else. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, and so Kenny, you know, with the fair deal panel, he treated it as if it was the old social conservative base of the conservative party of Canada, which is listen to them and nod respectfully, but right. don't do anything. And that has not worked. And that is, that's where the first cracks in that base came from, where you saw the early development of the Wild Rose Independence Party, and it was chugging its way up towards 10%. Um, in January, we, we, uh, we commissioned Main Street Research. They had them at 9% in January. Now, at 9%, that should have been a big alarm flashing right there. Yeah. That should yeah. say, this is a five-alarm fire at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... That, that should have been, okay, guys, 10%. We can't even afford to lose 10% to these guys. We need to do something. We need to tack hard and squash that bug. Um, a couple, about roughly three, two, three weeks ago, Main Street Research, we commissioned again. They were up to 17%. Uh, Angus Reid just uh, yesterday or the day before, as you said, had them at 20%. Um, if they go up 5% and that uh, 5% comes from the UCP, they will then they're tied. They'll yeah. be party with no seats and no money will be tied with the sitting government, which has a super majority of seats. That is, ins that is incredible. Um, so, and, and Kenny seems to believe he can get away with just platitudes and respectful nodding. And that's clearly not working. And I think uh, we're seeing, so let's go into a little bit about the lockdowns. That's had a huge impact on the Western standard, but on Alberta in general, it definitely played a big role in, in my perspective on the whole situation, uh, you've been reporting on this now for months. This this third lockdown that we went into was was widely hated by the base, and in fact, I think turned a lot of people against Jason just by the sheer audacity of of the things he was saying versus the lived reality on the ground. And now they're charging this rodeo, and they're they're using the powers of the state to try to quell their opposition. Why do you think he was so attached to the idea of lockdowns? And 
why why does he seem to be so concerned with supporting people who will never vote for him? Like he, he's legitimately trying to make people happy who who will never vote for him, who hate him. Look, there's there is a um, I call it Lawheed disease. There is a need by conservative leaders in Alberta not just to have a majority government, but to have an overwhelming super uber duper majority government right, like right. Lockheed, Lockheed had elections where he would l- win literally nearly every single seat right, and there was right. one election where a single new democrat got elected grant notley rachel notley's father and two independents who had used to be with uh, two or three independents who had used to be with the social credit party which had been the government before uh before Lockheed. literally almost every single seat the official opposition had a single seat <laughs> one seat the leader of the opposition wasn't essentially an independent. Um, That's wild. Yeah. So, um, and there's been a need by a lot of conservative leaders since to do this. Ralph Klein's later years where he kind of, when I say fell off the wagon, I'm not talking about drinking, but no, yeah, no, that too. Um, <laughs> actually, no, it was when he stopped drinking, he stopped becoming a good premier. Yeah. Everyone, everyone was like, bring back drunk Ralph. He was always a great, a great premier yeah. when he was drinking. Yeah. Bring back drunk Ralph. Uh, but, you know, in his later years, he started big spending, started moving really towards the center. And because uh, he wanted to win seats in Edmonton and he got bigger majority governments for it. Um, but that ultimately sowed the seeds of what became the Wild Rose. Um, Ed Stelmack, again, move really center, trying to win seats in Edmonton. Um, Jim Prentice. So Jim Prentice was the ultimate victim so far of Lougheed disease or Lougheed syndrome. Uh, He wanted to win an insane supermajority. The progressive conservatives already held more than half, roughly half the seats in Edmonton after Alison Redford, because she moved center to to fight the Wild Rose to collect NDP and liberal votes. Yeah. Um, He thought he killed the Wild Rose in that giant mass floor crossing. He believed it was dead. like senior PC ministers at the time told me that they actually didn't believe Wild Rose was even really a party until two weeks into the election and we were leading in the polls. <laughs> they just didn't believe it was a real thing. They're right. like, we killed it fair and square. Uh, this it's is not a real now. thing. Yep. It's a yep. mirage. It'll go away. And it was like two weeks out from the election when they realized that, what, no, Wild Rose is real and it's going to beat us. Um, and so, he, you know, so Prentice was constantly shifting between left and right and left and right trying to make both sides happy and pissing everyone off in the process not picking a lane and jason kenny has been doing the same thing he wants the super majority it's a belief that conservatives are entitled to govern in alberta and a, and a real conservative government in alberta has no opposition right right it cannot have a real opposition there can be no question that you are the government and that anyone else who has seats in the legislature they're just uh they're just they're just sprinkling on the Sunday. They're right, just there for show. Right. They're, they're there they're, for show. It's a show opposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so like to you know, and that feeds into you know the Fair Deal panel and is situ- and how he deals with the rest of Canada. It, it feeds into how he's dealt with the budget. He's not done virtually anything. He said he'd do for the budget. Uh, we're running bigger deficits today than we did under Rachel Notley. Keystone. Uh, Keystone. Keystone. I mean, buying a pipeline that costs us $1.4 billion and we've lost completely. And he's still gaslighting people and thinking we're going to get the money back. No, it's gone. Yeah, we're not. Uh, yeah, we're not getting that look, money back. It, it may have been a project that I love. I mean, I believe I we should build a pipeline to the moon. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but um, 
government should never own businesses ever under any circumstance. Period. No, exactly. And Kenny broke that, bought this pipeline, and then it goes bankrupt when Biden kills it. Yeah. And guess what? There was a not insignificant chance that Joe Biden would become president. And and not only that, Joe Biden specifically said the whole time, even before they bought it, that he, he was, was going to kill, kill it. it. Yeah. The whole Democratic Party was saying they're going to kill it, other than like Tulsi Gabbard, who had no chance. No. So, uh, like, yeah, pretty much every candidate. Uh, so you bought it during the Democratic primaries. Any candidate with any prayer of winning was saying they're going to kill this pipeline. So, and like Tulsi Gabbard got like what? Essentially, he made a big bet on Donald Trump, a $1.4 billion bet. Yeah. And obviously didn't work out. No. But let's bring it to lockdowns. He has tried to thread the needle by essentially doing what the left want, but repeating his strategy of dealing with the base that doesn't work, which is listen respectfully and nod your head. Right. I hear you. You don't like lockdowns. I don't like, I really hate this. I, I don't want to do this, but it's for your own good. You got to trust me. And the problem is he steadily eroded his own political capital. Um, this came to a crash. He, he, he whatever political capital he had uh, crashed to zero uh, right around New Year's when they had the big snowbird scandal. Yeah. Oh a, man. A dozen or more. MLAs for those who don't know, for those who don't know, who don't follow Alberta politics. What was uh, Aloha gate? We called it the snowbird scandal, but, a lot of media call Aloha Gate. Um, there was like a half dozen or more ministers and MLAs. They had just locked down Albertans, banned family gatherings during Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like this was a hard lockdown. You couldn't have people over to your house. Um, and then all these people just took off to Hawaii and Mexico and all these places with no lockdowns, enjoying nice sunny vacations. Obviously, uh, th- this pissed off both both sides. It pissed off dominantly the you know, the, the lockdown side, which is dominated by NDP voters who are like, how dare you break these sacred laws? We're all supposed to be in this together. (laughs) And then it pissed off everybody who doesn't like lockdown saying, uh, this was stupid to begin with. I don't care actually that you flew. I care that you locked me down, banned Christmas and then flew. Yeah. Yeah. And and could not apologize for it. It went on for nearly a week. The, The wheels were falling off the government. And then he essentially sent out, uh, two other ministers to apologize on his behalf and fired his chief of staff, fired his chief of staff and slapped, a, slapped a couple of wrists, but not much. No. Um, and then we fast forward to just, uh, last week. Um, we're in lockdown. Uh, you know, even, um, uh, patio dinners were illegal at the time. And a photo comes up of, uh, Jason Kenney, and some of his key ministers, Jason Nixon, Travis Taves, and health minister, Tyler Shandro, and four others, eight in total, having a beautiful rooftop dinner, boozy dinner. With linens. Pardon? With linens on the table. Nice and a staff from what we can um, tell. Yeah, having this illegal dinner, breaking uh, by our count. So even if, they, and they tried to, they said, oh, we didn't break any rules. It wasn't technically patio dining. It was an outdoor social gathering. That's bullshit. And but, then he called it a working dinner. Well, yeah. what is it a working dinner? Is it an outdoor social gathering? Yeah. But even if we even what we just like, fine, let's take their word for it. It's an outdoor social gathering. We went through the regulations. They broke. They have 16 counts of violating their own regulations, even under that. And another six counts, sorry, eight, uh, eight counts of violating the guidelines. And they would not apologize. It went on for four or five days. And eventually... Uh, you had ministers, you had MLA speaking up, condemning the hypocrisy of the premier and these ministers. 
a full-blown revolution was breaking out and eventually he was forced to concede and apologize. But uh, I think it was probably too little, too late. It's obviously a forced apology. And it was more of like, I'm sorry if how it was perceived. Yeah, that was literally what he he basically said is like, I thought we were following all the guidelines. And he basically was like, we thought about this and we tried to do it. And then, you know. It's like if I told my wife, I'm sorry that you're angry. Right. (laughs) That's not going to go well. (laughs) You know how that works? Not well. Not well. Not well at all. Yeah, so, I've, tra- so, I've tried it. It's so terrible. So, do you think? Do you think <laughs> that um, that he just feels entitled to be able to do these things because he's premier, or what do you think it is that makes him be like, "Oh, I don't, I don't have to really follow the rules the same way that everyone else does." It might be that he actually okay. So, like, we had there was an illegal rodeo in Alberta a couple months ago. Western Standard was a sponsor. Uh, and he said, this is dangerous. These people are selfish. They're bad disturbing. people. Disturbing. Disturbing. Uh, all of these things. And I was thinking, God, does, has Kenny actually drank in the Kool-Aid and believe this is all necessary? Right. It might be that he actually agrees with us and thinks it's bullshit, but he's doing this all for politics. Right. Right. So I think that, that's one possible explanation is that they think it's bullshit. Another one is the uh, possible explanation I think more likely is they believe it's necessary, but okay. Let me let me back up a second. A lot of the Karens who scream about how necessary lockdowns are, they don't follow the rules themselves. Right. In public, they do. They wear like three layered masks and a face shield, and they'll right, scream at people. Right. But they'll still have people over to the house for dinner because they're like, "Well, I'm responsible. I'm being fine." But we need these laws to keep uh, the plebs in the countryside in line so that they don't hold these super spreader events like right. rodeo. Which where, there was zero evidence of even a single case coming from the rodeo. Yeah. Not, a, yeah, not one. Exactly. <laughs> the super spreader event with, with nobody hurt. Um, so um, I, I think that's a more, um, I think that's a more plausible explanation that uh, they believe it's necessary. They've drinking the Kool-Aid, but I mean, the, the these this inner circle has got to meet you can't have you know zoom is not very good for really talking serious business for government so i mean what's it it's not going to hurt anybody if we do this why not like it's justified because we're a small group and we're very important we're the most important people in alberta right so you know it's justified on those grounds yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I think, think you're dead on on that. I think that the, the just yeah, I think that's literally the justification. Well, we have to run the province. Without us, everything would fall apart. You know, we're the ones holding it all together, making all the decisions. If we're not meeting, then you know that's so. It's like for the greater good kind of thing, right? Yeah, right. we're 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 having these illegal dinners for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I think yeah. that's probably the most likely plausible explanation for it. So with all of this and thinking about all of this, the the chaos that's ensuing, I, I was chatting with someone recently who said this is such an Albertan moment. And like you and I have been involved in <laughs> in this Alberta political civil war between the Wild Rose and PCs for about, I guess, more than a, almost a decade now. Yeah. What's different about this one? Um, well... Okay, so the breakaway, like Wild Rose Independence Party, uh, 
it's more strident than any of their previous incarnation of either the Reform Party or the old Wild Rose Party, because this is an explicitly independence party. Right. Now, it, it holds within it, I think, uh, a significant number of people who aren't, maybe that's their biggest issue. Like, like in Quebec, the Parti Québécois, its raison d'etre was independence for Quebec. But, I mean, if you were a socialist, if you were into all sorts of lefty causes, you would find common cause within it, because all parties are coalitions. So Wild Rose Independence Party is a coalition as well, but it's explicitly dedicated to Alberta independence, uh, right in its founding principles. So that, that's a difference, and it's a new dividing line that, I mean, between the old, the, there were huge differences between the Wild Rose and progressive conservative parties on policy. The biggest differences tended to actually be cultural. I think there's actually three distinct political tribes in Alberta, and it's not conser- it's not left and right. It's um, urban progressive, urban moderate conservative, and rural populist libertarian. Right. I think, right. and and they and they they generally line up with NDP, progressive conservative, and Wild Rose. And the United Conservative Party was an attempt to graft the latter two tribes together, the, represented by Wild Rose and progressive conservative. And because they do share, at least on the policy, culturally, they're quite different. But policy wise, it did seem like they, with enough give and take, they could probably make it work. It's turning out that, you know, I I think it was uh, uh, Andrew Breitbart said, politics is downstream from culture. Yes, yes. And the United Conservative Party was an attempt to graft together politics yeah yeah. but it didn't address the culture and the culture is very different and because the cultures are different their policies continue to diverge and jason kenny policy wise he's at least traditionally been on the right but culturally he's more of an urban calgary progressive conservative yes Yes. And in fact, there's that clip of him debating Khan uh, where he literally says, I've never been a Wild Rose or I've never held a Wild Rose membership. This is for the leadership of the uh, of the PCs back when he was running to do that for the unity vote. He's yeah. he, he explicitly denies that he's part of that culture. Yeah, exactly. So um, he. um so the, the tensions are really coming apart at it. They are the same cultural cleavages that um, split apart the old progressive conservative and wild rose parties. Um, but how do I put this? It, it's different in that like this wild rose party has much less common ground with the United conservative party, even than the progressive conservative party did with the old wild rose party. Um, because, These lockdowns are a defining issue. Um, Kenny has taken essentially the NDP position. Whatever the NDP says he should do, he normally says, oh, that's bad. You you just love lockdowns. And then a week later, he does it exactly verbatim. Yeah. Um, But then he says, we're only doing, I hate this. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. Rich, the difference between me and Rachel Notley is she wants to do it. And I don't. Right. right. And I was going to say, well, don't do it. Yeah. Just don't do it. Um, and so, and that is a massive cleavage. This is not, uh, oh, should we have a progressive income tax or a flat tax? This is not, should the corporate income tax rate be 10% or 8%? Uh, this is, does the government have a legitimate right to lock me in my house and take away my basic liberties? Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a 
big defining issue where there really isn't much middle ground. And Kenny has been trying to create a middle ground with extremely little success. And then of course there's the independence issue. And that's a, that's like, that doesn't get much bigger than that. Right. It's not that this is again, not an income tax, not even a, not even an education policy or a health policy. This is literally, should we stay in the country that we're currently in? Yeah. It's not um, like, you know, within, um, like we pulled a majority of people who voted UCP in the last election support independence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, now it might be changing now, but until fairly recently, most people who supported independence in Alberta were UCP voters, not Wild Rose voters. Right. Wild Rose has been slowly or actually quite quickly consolidating those people. Um, but there is a, as I said, there is a spectrum. There is a continuum of, you know, uh, all the way from let's put up firewalls and uh, keep Ottawa out of our businesses and stay in Canada to people who want independence. The people who are like, let's just not even have the queen. We should be a republic. Throw <laughs> right. tea in the Bow River and declare <laughs> independence. Uh, hell with the queen. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a spectrum um, in that movement, uh, but that movement is now about 35, pushing towards 40 percent. That's a lot of people considering that. There's no independence party with a single seat in the legislature right now. I mean, if so, if this if these things start gaining credibility and mainstream acceptance, that, that could quite easily hit towards 50 percent. Um, so there's a big gap between people who want independence and Jason Kenney saying, uh, well, we're eventually two years after we got elected, going to hold a referendum on equalization that we acknowledge will probably do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all we're doing there is a chasm between those positions. And when he got elected two years ago, a lot of people who had independent sympathies thought, well, oh, Kenny's secretly a separatist. He's probably one of us. This is just kind of the dress rehearsal and then he's going to move. And, it, and, and, and as the independence movement has gained steam and been a bigger thorn in his side, he has increasingly been hostile towards it, called it names. He's not even respectful towards it now. He's like, this is a stupid idea, stupid people, snap out of it. Um, and so he's lost even the kind of that respectful tone towards it because it's become a real threat to him. Yeah. Yeah. Now you and I've talked about this before, but one of the interesting things about Jason is he's never been in a situation where he was fighting from a place of weakness, right? Every time essentially he's run a campaign, he's gotten involved in, in politics. He's always been fighting from a, from a position of strength. Why? Yeah. So that my theory, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is that he is reacting so poorly to this situation. You know, calling his base names. I mean, there's that wonderful quote you got from the uh, the weekly. <laughs> that, was leaks. A, that, was a, that was one of my favorite leaks. Oh, that was one of the best leaks ever. Where he literally said, "If that's my base, I want a new base." Right? Yeah, he, like, he was referring to the illegal rodeo where Western Standard was in attendance and sponsor. Yes. That uh, they were having a caucus meeting, and he's and someone said, "I think you know that's our base. We should be careful about how hard we taunt them." And I said, "If that's our base, I want a new base." Yeah. <laughs> so going into this, I find it interesting how he has turned into this. He kind of like, you know, premier dad, right? He's like talking down. Oh, come on, guys! You know, behave yourselves. Like, there's so much condescension happening. Even in his apology about the Sky Palace, he's like, I'm sorry you saw it that way. We did everything possible to try to follow the rules. 
And, you know, maybe we made a mistake and I'm sorry about that. But but you know what? All of you guys have probably disobeyed the rules at some point too, right? Yeah. And, and, and he refuses to think, well, that's not the problem. We don't, <laughs> I disobey the rules every single day. Yes, yes. Like I've been in my office. I'm probably the only business that's moved from a home office into an actual office during the pandemic. <laughs> yes, um, yes. <laughs> so, um he missed the point there. He's like, yes, of course, everyone's breaking the rules, but we're not the ones making the stupid yeah, rules. Yes, exactly. Like we're the ones put, saying the rules are stupid. In charge, we would get rid of them today. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. So it's, it's a condescending tone. Um, he, he's always fashioned himself kind of an international conservative leader. Likes yes. to go to these international conservative conferences I think he's always fashioned himself taking on the role of like David Cameron as the, um, you know, as prime minister one day being and filling the David Cameron role in that international conservative order, representing the Westminster Tory tradition, um, you know, when different conservative leaders get together internationally. And we know he loves Edmund Burke. I mean, he's talked about that publicly in the media. I mean, that was why he quote-unquote, his political love at first sight was Kaylin Ford when she started to talk to him about Burke. Like, he likes that intellectual tradition of incrementalism and, you know, common sense. The, the government can be good. He's not a libertarian. No, he, he is. Um, I mean, he's used libertarian language in the past, but he's very much not a libertarian. Uh, he comes from the Canadian loyalist Tory tradition, with a little bit of Western populist window dressing. Um, we, we, I wrote a column about a month back calling him uh, a cosplay uh, redneck. <laughs> he, um, I love that. You know, he bought a big blue truck, puts, yeah. on, puts on a drawl, and, uh, and you know, talks talks about the Alberta advantage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I drink some budget liquor. Oh, <laughs> That was my favorite. Actually, Dave Naylor's tweet on that was amazing. He's like, <laughs> here at the Western Standard, we have, you know, we, we celebrate uh, on a budget. <laughs> yes, there it is. The Jamesons right there. That's my drink, my friend. That's yeah. that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, we did get pricey pizza, I have to admit. Um, right. Fair. But, uh, yeah, he, he comes, I think, from a more, uh, a very British Westminster tradition. Um. That is at odds, I think, with the uh, populous rural Alberta, more of a Republic, small R Republican tradition, even if it's not explicitly anti-monarchist, that's not really a big debate here in any way, but um, a, a belief that government, Kenny believes, I think, that government can do bad, but with the right people and the right respect for our institutions, that government can be a force for good. Um, the Alberta populist prairie tradition, um, at, at least from the 1980s onwards, um, has dominantly been of government is an inherent evil, perhaps a necessary evil, but it should be limited and constrained constitutionally and by direct democracy as much as is humanly possible. And it's in, it's interesting because that is very much the Harper perspective on government, right? That was how he always operated. Now, of course, there, there's arguments to be made that he didn't achieve as much as he 
could have, but he was always very focused on limiting government and and did not believe that there was an inherent good necessarily. Well, I think that was Harper's underlying philosophy, but, uh, and we spoke about this before. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Harper, I think, was as good as we can get, and he was still terrible. Uh, (laughs) to to, To form a government in Canada, you have to water down so much to win Quebec, to win Ontario, to win the Atlantic, um, to win parts of Vancouver, uh, so that even if you've got a genuine reformer, you've got a real prairie populist from a small R Republican tradition, um, they simply can't do it. We're just outnumbered, yeah. We're just so vastly outnumbered um, that it's just not possible. Well, it's interesting. If you think about this from Jason's perspective, he probably thinks of Albertans as more like Canadians than they actually are. Like in, in, in the sense that, uh, like you said, the small R Republican tradition doesn't really exist outside of Alberta. Um, it does in a limited fashion, but it's, it's very uh, outnumbered. Very out. I mean, there, there's pockets in interior BC. There's pockets in, um, in there's parts in Saskatchewan. Um, there's, I guess Ontario, like we like to say, there's more Albertans. Ontario are are similar. Uh, although there's, I mean, even the, the the best parts still have a strong Tory loyalist part to it, but I mean, but there, there definitely are parts. I mean, especially like the Ottawa Valley where I'm originally from that there's no coincidence. That's where Randy Hillier is from. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, that's where, uh, Scott, uh, Reed is, I mean, the two most prominent libertarians currently elected in Ontario, federally and provincially, are they share the same seat? <laughs> right, yes, and the boundaries are the same because Ontario yeah. moved its boundaries to be identical to the yeah, federal they boundaries. Have the same yeah. seat; they're just at different levels of government. Um, just Scott Reed has been probably a little less uh, curmudgeonly and more able to navigate, and less inflammatory in too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I would totally get kicked out of the CPC and. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I actually. Anyway, Derek, what do you want to do today? Um, I don't know. I want to arm gay lesbians growing weed with machine guns. <laughs> to paraphrase Tim Mullen. Yes. Uh, well, I liked. Uh, I, mean, like, I liked. That's tools. my agenda for the day, and they'd be like, uh, "Yeah, I don't think this is going to work." <laughs> I liked uh, uh, Ken Bosenkool's tweet about you last night that you've always uh, you've always danced to your wolf spirit. I thought that was <laughs> that was a pretty epic tweet. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean he, and he is not like my kind of conservative. He no. is very much, I think he's very much more of a Tory. Um, yeah, we come from very different tribes, I'd say. Uh, but I mean, I, 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 I take it well. You know, he said like, Derek, yeah, I danced my own wolf, my inner wolf, and I would not last long in a government caucus. And I think that's actually quite correct. I, right, right. <laughs> but unless I was the leader of that caucus, I don't think... No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on that note, before we go, because we only have a few minutes left here, how are you enjoying this new life of of the newspaper man? Oh God, it's fun. <laughs> I dance. I come into my office and I howl my inner wolf every day. <laughs> you, I, do. you do. You do. I want to do today. Uh, I've got a really great team. We've built up. Um, you know, we've built, we built our readership rapidly, but we built the team slowly. Uh, I'm a believer in finding the right people, not just, uh, the right titles for positions. 
Um, so the way, you know, we, the way we've grown, people do multiple jobs until I can find the right person to fill out jobs below them and then promote internally. Uh, we, we, we've had just tremendous success. We, we've built a business model that uh, I, I think is the model for digital media in Canada. We do not take a penny of government subsidies. And uh, I chance to say we're more profitable than almost any media corporation in Canada right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're probably right. Yeah, but like, yeah. so we, we've got a mixed, like without getting too far into it, generally you can have advertisers or you can have subscriptions. You can't do both. We do. We have advertisers um, and we have subscriptions because we have a soft paywall. We give people a lot of free readership. So we keep our traffic high, so it still makes sense for advertisers. But our high, our, 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 our high number of free reads also means we develop a relationship with readers before we ask them for money. You have to read about 20 articles in a month before we actually say, no, you need to pay to read any further. Uh, Post media normally does two or three in a month. And that's not enough to develop a relationship with a reader to turn them. uh, That's why ours, we call them members because they're truly invested in us. They believe in what we're doing. We have a relationship with them and it's, and it's two ways we respond to them. We, they pitch stories to us. I mean, sometimes they're stupid ideas and I don't take them, but uh, <laughs> but sometimes they're great ideas, I'm sure. They're often great ideas. Some of our best tips come from our members. Uh, so we, we've built a really interesting model that is succeeding. Uh, we're growing rapidly, but conservatively, we're, we're trying, you know, we're, we, we make changes, but we don't, um, we, we don't overcommit ourselves. So it's, we, we, I think we've built an incredible business model uh, that really is the model for how digital media can succeed in Canada. As, as a credible media outlet without accepting government subsidies. Yeah, and, and I think the most important thing is something you've said to me quite a number of times is you're putting a price on liberalism in the conservative movement, right? Yeah, well, well yeah, so we found a, a spot for ourselves. Um, our news is straight down the center, like not ideologically, but like it's, it's straight shooting. We've got credible, good reporters doing these things. Um, but... Our, our opinion is very libertarian, very militantly Western. Um, but even our news side looks at things from a perspective that the mainstream media just don't see it. We use the same processes and level of evidence we require for things. But we, you know, so like if the UCP is in power, the media think, okay, well, holding government to account means holding them to account from the left. Or if the NDP is in power, it means holding them to account from the slightly less left. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, what we do is like the UCP is in power and we say, look, there's, we, I think we have a better understanding of Joe and Jane Albertan than the mainstream media do uh, coming out of J school. And we, we do hard news, straight news, but often from looking for angles and qu- asking questions from that kind of prairie populist tradition side. And that drives the government in Alberta absolutely bonkers. Yeah, they, they, you, you've come up quite a number of times in a caucus, or at least the Western Standard has. Yeah, yeah well, we've, we've, we've certainly got some real estate between certain people's ears. Um, <laughs> oh, and, and, and like Jason Kenney doesn't know how to deal with it. That, that's why my reporters aren't even allowed to ask questions uh, at press conferences, because he doesn't know how to fight a two-front war. Um I mean, I'm a history buff, so I'll use a First World War analogy. Um, And forget the country labels about who you think is a good guy or bad. Just talking purely strategic policy. 
Uh, if the government is Germany in the center here, and they're the big strong one, uh, the media are like the NDP. They're France. They're to the left. They're in the West. Right, right. And you can fight in that direction. So, you know, the media asks a question, uh, why did you cut this important social program? Children are going to starve. Right. Uh, say, no, we're not cutting this program. We've just reallocated things and it can minimize it to, to soften criticism in the center and in the left. Um, but if we ask a question, we say, well, why didn't you actually cut the spending? Why did you just right. reallocate these things? Right. You're running a crazy deficit. You promised to cut spending. Why aren't you cutting spending? He can't then turn around one second after answering that question from, say, the CBC and say, oh, uh, actually, Dave, we did uh, cut. <laughs> we, we've been brutal. <laughs> we've been brutal. We have slashed that budget. You guys would be backing us for cutting so draconianly. You, he you can't. can't do that. No. He can't do that because you're now funny on because we're Russia. We're on the yeah. other side. Yes. And, uh, we're a bit more rickety. We're, you know, not <laughs> you know but you got a lot of, of people to throw at the problem. <laughs> yeah, we got way more people. <laughs> we got way more people. And in the long term, we're more dangerous. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Derek. I know you're really busy right now with everything that's happening in Alberta. Great to have your perspective on what's happening and keep up the good work. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You too, Zach. Bye, Derek. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.